0: Uh, Go ahead and get started tonight. So um, tonight we are wrapping up our first unit of the answers uh, in the Bible curriculum that we've been doing. Technically, we've only been on 10 weeks of this curriculum, but because of uh, the Christmas program and um, some of the break uh, that we had in continuity of service, Really I, I was thinking about it earlier, we're, we're on like month four or maybe five of this study and so um, tonight I'm really glad that we get this time to review and all of the kids out in their classes are going to be doing a review as well tonight and just going over um, the first nine lessons of our Answers curriculum and so um, tonight we just want to go back through and take a look at all of the highlights and, and main points that we studied over the first nine weeks of um, this this new curriculum and series that we're doing, uh, Answers Through the Box Bible. so uh, as we get started tonight why don't we just uh, pray together and agree for the lord to speak to each of our hearts and and open his word up in a way only he can can only he can do so let's pray for that father god we come before you tonight with ears to hear we have expectation that as we study your word we are also listening for your holy spirit to speak and make that word come alive we know it's unlike any other book any other kind of writing that has ever been done lord it is truly the inspired living word of god and so tonight we approach your word expecting to hear not only to read and see and gain a natural kind of understanding but lord we pray that there is a holy spirit encouraged a holy spirit prompted a word for our hearts that is alive and active Uh, Just like Your Word says that it is, living and active. And so tonight we look to Your Word with that expectation. We study this review and and look back upon what we've learned these previous weeks, just uh, wanting to revamp and and, uh, reinforce what we've already heard um, in this curriculum through this teaching. And so we go into Your Word with that expectation tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. amen. 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 Well, tonight, like I said, we're going to be summarizing uh, the curriculum from unit one in Answers in Genesis, and part of the reason for that, I'm sure uh, this, if you've noticed, is a very teaching-oriented series. You know, as, as I've, I've only been privileged now to do two of the lessons, um, but it just strikes me that as we go through these, they're very detailed, very thorough, very much wanting to teach the Word and, um, you know, bring a biblical literacy where we know what the Bible says as Christians and believers. And so with such a teaching approach, um, I do think it's appropriate that after so many um, studies, we go back and review. You know, I think about my school days, and we always had review time where we would study a topic, study a subject and then at the end of that study we would go back and review everything we learned and you know they say um, that for teaching purposes that reinforces it. If you learn something and then maybe you take a break from it for a while and go back to it, it just like solidifies it and so um, that is true with the word as well with our natural understanding. I mean I know I want to yeah, the holy Spirit he'll bring things to our remembrance that 's one of the things we 'll look at tonight, but I certainly want to do my part to make sure i 'm not hindering him in any way. You know he needs our cooperation as well or or at least he asks us for our cooperation um, in his working in our life and so I know i don 't want to be uh, part of a hindrance to the Holy Spirit doing anything, so I'm going to be faithful, and I believe that especially those of you who are out here on Wednesday nights going through this study with us are faithful as well to to work alongside the Holy Spirit to do our part as, as people and trust Him to do His part as God so that we can really get this full understanding and recalling of the Word that has been promised. Amen? And so um, tonight just reviewing this first unit, what really struck me about it and to give you kind of a, a general topic that Unit 1 really seemed to cover is the priority of the Word in our life. You know, as I as I prepared to uh, do this study tonight, um, it just was so clear to me that these nine lessons, all of them pointed to the Word as a foundation, to the Word as a priority. Uh, We had a week or or two where we talked about how the Word is the truth and how it doesn't need anything added to it. We're going to see all of that as we do this summary tonight, but really the priority of this first unit, which is setting up the framework to go into all of these other um, apologetics questions of the Bible, it's setting up our understanding that the Word of God is the truth. that that it is the final say on everything um, that that we live through and believe. It is the unerring truth of God. And Grandma and I were actually talking even this morning uh, before I came into the church about how, you know, these Wednesday night studies up to this point, it's like, man, we're we're hitting these basic things and we're going over these things that, you know, I grew up in church and I've learned some of this since I was really young. But it's so important that we have this foundation prepared before we go on and tackle some of these uh, apologetics questions that we're gonna begin getting into in the next unit. Cause I'm, I'm gonna give you uh, just a glimpse um, tonight, I'll just tell you a couple things that are coming up in Unit 2 and kind of whet your appetite so you're excited about that. Uh, we're going to be diving into creation. We're going to have three units uh, or three lessons in the next unit just about the creation days, those seven days of creation. And, and some of the questions about, like, dinosaurs and dragons. I mean, I thought that was pretty interesting. When I'm reading the outline for Unit 2, I was thinking, whoa, we're talking about dinosaurs and dragons. And and we're talking about, you know, the history or the, the age of the world. Um. Some questions that really non believers ask, and they want to know, well, is your Bible legitimate? What about what science says you know that's that's what apologetics is about is being able to give an account for what we believe and and you know defend the word that that we claim to live our life on and so um, we're setting up a framework in this first unit so that we are prepared to um, back up these claims we're going to make because the bible is when it is the truth and it is the 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 thing or, or the word that we fall back on um, you know you and I we can say well I believe this because the Bible says it well to someone who doesn't believe the Bible they, that may not mean a lot and so through this first unit we've been setting up why it is we believe the Bible why it is that we believe the Bible is the authority and so as we go through this summary tonight I hope that is what you gain above everything else that, that truth the Bible is the authority that's what this unit has really, I believe, been about establishing. And the very first uh, summarized lesson we're going to go into is the first, which was God's Word is our foundation. Um, if you did pick up a scripture sheet, you can look on that with me tonight. Most of the scriptures we're going to go through are there. Otherwise, you can turn in your Bible or on your phone. Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that... I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually um, in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have stray- not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Now, this Psalm is writing about the Word of God and its place in our life. The very first thing we see, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, I've walked around in the dark a few times before. In fact, earlier tonight, I was walking out to the Redemption Center to go turn some lights on. And I thought, I'm very thankful that this is a parking lot that doesn't have any traps or any, any obstacles in front of me. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that this is a clear path for me to walk because I can't see anything right now. You know, if, if I stumbled onto something, I'd have no idea it was there because I can't see anything. Well, you know, the devil sets stuff up for us in life. He wants to trip us up. He wants to trap us as we even read about in this, how the wicked have laid a snare for me. Well, the word as a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, it illuminates where we're walking in life. It illuminates um, the, the, the path of life that we walk out and so the very first thing I see is the word is so important in our life such a foundational thing because it guides us You know, that's something that an unbeliever probably won't understand because uh, there may be guided by other things but we're guided by the word and that is one of the first qualities I see of the word being so key so important in our life is it is our guiding Um, it is is our guiding truth it is the guiding force in our life is the word Uh, we see some other characteristics of the word Listed throughout Psalm 119 as well. I just wrote uh, down here a few of those which, which we'll see in the text as, as we read through. It says, it is righteous. It is a reviving force. It is teaching. It is saving from those snares we talked about, the traps. It is a heritage, something to be passed on, and it is a cause of rejoicing. Don't you have the joy of the Lord with you this morning? Well, tonight, it's not morning. It's a Wednesday evening. But we we have these things because we have the Word. You know, when we look to the Word as our foundation, it, it brings righteousness and reviving and teaching. And, you know, I, I think about how without the Word, I really wouldn't have these in my life. I, I wouldn't have true righteousness. I wouldn't have uh, a true reviving force in my life. I wouldn't have uh, a true saving force. I wouldn't have something that really passes on, that, that goes beyond my physical life on this earth. There, there isn't anything like the Word nothing eternal like the Word. And so it's our foundation because it's so unlike anything else that is out there. And it is so different. It, you know, and, and I think that is an attractive thing. We talked this last Sunday uh, about hard ground and how there are people that you know say, I don't want it. Well, eventually we all come to the end of our rope where what we're using and doing isn't working anymore. And the thing is the Word never fails. Right. And so we can always go back to this and say, well, I, I I am confident. I, I am um, you know content in life. I, I I'm good because I've got the word. The word's my foundation. It allows me to live a life unlike anything the world allows us to live. Luke six verses forty seven through forty eight are the next scripture I look to uh, about God's word being foundation in our life. It says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. So that word is likened to the rock, to the firm, steady, unshakable, unchangeable foundation. It doesn't move. It doesn't collapse when difficult things come. Um, it, It is unfailable. And that is what the Word is like. It is, it is unfailable. And um, as I was getting ready for this, I, I just kind of saw a new element to this that I hadn't seen before. How, you know, we, we build upon the rock. We build upon the Word. But if we don't build, we end up with the same thing that people on sand have. Mm-hmm. Say that again. If we don't build on the rock if we don't build something on the foundation of the word we end up with the exact same thing that the people on the sand have which is nothing yeah, good. okay I endured the storm but I still don't have anything because I didn't build anything you know and that that is why I believe Jesus said whoever comes to me hears my sayings and does them the doing part is is the building part you know and there are people who are doing with other things they're, they're doing on other bases but because it's not the word, when difficult things come, it all collapses. It all falls apart. And you've probably known people like that. Maybe you've lived through that already where you've built something up and it was great, but it wasn't based on the word. And so when difficulty came, it just fell apart. Well, the word is, well, it's it's kind of the insurance that we as Christians have that it's not going to fall apart. When it's based on the word, the firm foundation, we know that that what we are Building with our life, the doing, when it's based on the Word, is not going to collapse. Going back to this Sunday once again, it's incorruptible. It doesn't get destroyed because it's based out of the Word, not out of anything else. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad we have a firm foundation upon which we build? Yes. Building on the Word. The next uh, lesson, moving on here, lesson two to summarize, it was talking about the attributes of God. And so we know that um, in Genesis 1, it talks about how the Word was with God and the Word was God. We know that God and His Word are inseparable. God speaks to us through His Word because His Word is inherently a part of Him. Word is one of the primary ways that we come to know God, and so we look to the Word to find out who He is. If you'll look at Exodus 34 verses 4 through 8 with me, I believe we see some characteristics of God. And, and this, this point, um, I was reminded while I was uh, studying for this of a class I had while in Bible school. And the class was on righteousness. And, you know, righteousness is one of the things that Jesus made available for us. Uh, and it was what we celebrated through communion and, and with our worship this last Sunday. You know, we thank God every Sunday that he made us righteous in, in relationship with him once again. Well, in this righteousness class that I had, one of the things my teacher said that um, really stuck with me. He said... In order to really live righteous, the the way that Jesus wants you to live righteous, you have to know who your Heavenly Father is. You have to know who you are in relationship to Him. You have to know who your enemy is, and you have to know how to worship the Lord. And I thought that was so good. Because if, if we don't know who our God is, then we will not be able to um, live like He is. We, we you know, we cannot um, try to or, or successfully through God's grace, live in in the standards and with the character of God if we don't know who He is. I, you know, I know some people who like to do impressions. Like, have you guys ever listened to? Um, Isaiah Chapman, out on a Sunday morning, you know he's got this whole repertoire of impressions, and maybe he'll do them for you. I, I can't promise, but it'd be it's pretty entertaining. I mean he's got all these voices, and I think he actually won a competition at his middle school about that. so you know it's cool. we've got talent in our kids. We have a talented church, and so he's got all of these impressions he does. And the only way he can do this impression, the only way he can replicate what someone else is doing is because He's watched them, He's heard them, He's spent time um, encountering them. Well, it's the same way with us and God. If we don't spend time listening to Him, and, and watching Him, and encountering Him, we won't know how to be like Him. And I want to be like Christ, don't you? And so part of our righteousness is knowing who God is. Because if we know who He is, and then we have the faith and the confidence that He has made us like Him through Jesus Christ, well then now I am empowered to live in those attributes just like how he is. And so let's look at Exodus 34, 4-8. Um, it, it talks about what God reveals of himself in the Word. I love the first thing um, he says. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, the Lord God. His first attribute that he gives himself is, I am God. I'm the Lord, but I'm, I'm the Lord God, capital G, the God, the Creator. The omnipotent, omniscient, most powerful one that there is. I'm God. I'm the one that people, you know, they they search for this power. They search for the Almighty. They search for, I'm it. I love that he reveals that in his word. You know, he doesn't just leave us to wonder if he's one of many. He is God. The one true God. So he is God. He goes on and, and describes some other things about himself. He says, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I wrote down kind of like we did with the foundation, some of these attributes of God. So to to summarize that scripture, he says, I am God, I am merciful, I am gracious, I am long-suffering, I am abounding in goodness and truth, and mercy forgiving and I'm just you know he talks about how um, he does not clear the guilty well that's justice and I'm glad I have a just God I, I'm, I'm glad I have a God that doesn't um, tolerate sin you know he expects holiness because he is holy and thank the Lord thank God that Jesus came And made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins so that that guilt, which he does not, um, it says he doesn't clear the guilty. Well, we've been made not guilty in Jesus. You know, Jesus paid that price. That's what the good news of the gospel is all about is that we were guilty and Jesus paid the price for us. He cleared us. Someone had to clear our guilt and it was Jesus Christ who did it. It's good news. So the attributes of God, we know he is all of these things. In 1 John 4, 7, we see further attributes of God. It's beloved, let us love one another for the love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. John is writing here about how the relationship between God and knowing God and having love is so connected because God is love. God is love real love, actionable love, not just the kind that talks and says nice things when you're face-to-face, but the kind that acts it out whether you're present or not. God is real love, unfailing love, sending and sacrificing kind of love. You know, Jesus, He, he, he acted in love. That was, that was, I mean, if we look at His life on earth, He was a servant to men because of love. It was His motivation for ministering. It was His motivation for self-sacrifice. It was His motivation for serving. It was His motivation uh, for miracle power was love for mankind, that we would come to know Him and be saved by Him. So we know that God, too, is a God of love. In Psalm 90, verse 2, we see our next attribute listed of God. uh, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Once again, we see written here, he's God. He is the God. And beyond that, we see um, the quality of um, everlasting given to him. He is a forever living God. He, He is before the beginning. And, and we'll see this actually in our next verse in Revelation 1.11. He was before the gen- beginning. He will be past the end. He is the unending, everlasting, forever God. And, and this verse, I mean, verses like this that talk about his, you know, bigness, his greatness. It, it always kind of, it's hard for me to grasp. It, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it because I'm a human. You know, I'm, I'm not as he is. I wasn't at the beginning. You know, And praise the Lord, I have everlasting life in Christ, so we're going to go into eternity with Him. But it, it's hard to wrap my mind around that. Is it hard for you to like, really understand what that means, understanding the bigness of it? Uh, I mean, I think we look at you know, uh, earthly examples, we try to understand it. But I, I think the everlasting quality of God is something that I, I don't know that I'll even fully understand until I'm with Him in heaven one day. You know, experiencing what it means to be in everlasting life—it amazes me. And and even in this, I could go on and say, uh, kind of a side quality, a side attribute that I see of that is he is amazing. I mean, he is awesome in the sense that I have awe for him because I mean, he, he's talking about how I am these things that you don't even understand. Like I can't even like get. I can't even tell you beyond just imparting a revelation of it that I don't have yet. You, you can't even fully grasp it because it's it's so beyond what you are. He's huge. He's big. He's amazing. He is an awesome God. It makes me think of the song, Our God is an awesome God. Isn't He an awesome God? Revelation 1.11 uh, furthers this point. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. And what you see, right in a book and send it to the other seven churches which are in Asia. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. And, and it, it actually reminds me too of another uh, scripture. I, I think it's Hebrews uh, 12 twelve two. I don't know if I wrote it down in here, but where he says, I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. You know, beyond the, the universe being the beginning and end of that, he is also the beginning and the end of our relationship with him. He is the beginning and the end of my salvation, of, of my righteousness, of grace coming into my life, of my relationship with God. He is the start and the finish. He's the beginning and the end. Furthermore, we see Galatians 5.22. I, I don't want to leave out any part of, of the Trinity, which is one of our other points we're going to summarize tonight. Uh, we see qualities of the Holy Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22-23. through 23. The fruit of the Spirit, which we've read before, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, if we believe the Bible, if it really is our foundation for life, then we can't say we don't know God. Because right here in these scriptures we've just read, we get a face-to-face encounter with God and with each part of Him. You know, it's it's not limited just to Jesus who walked on earth and revealed himself in flesh. We get we get an understanding, we get the attributes of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't he doesn't hide himself from us. You know, and I think that's just another part of what makes, you know, our our belief, our real relationship with Jesus so different than religion or or any other system of belief, is that he does not hide himself from us. You know, even though there is a mindset, I think, among some people that God is this big, un, impossible to understand, hard to figure out, I, I never really know who he is, how he is, or what he thinks, sitting up in heaven. My dad used to say it like this he's sitting up there with a hammer, just waiting to you know, squash me. That was his, his past understanding of God. You know, I think there is this mindset of I, we, we just don't know anything about him because he's God. Well, I think other other ways of belief do believe that. It's, well, how could we ever know? You know, we, we can try to, un- we're, well, we just don't know because we're so unlike them. It's, it's not revealed. Well, God, in His goodness, revealed Himself to us. Isn't that great? Yes. And so we see some of the attributes of God. The next uh, piece to our review tonight is uh, Lesson 3, which was that we can know God exists. We can know that God exists. See, because, now we're going we're gonna to talk, summarize here, just two kind of separate views on how we can know God exists, all right? Uh, the first thing I would, I would offer for you to consider is that we know that God exists because the Word is our foundation. You know, if, if we believe the Word, if it is the foundation we build our life on, not only do we know God and know His attributes, but we have total faith that He is alive, He is real, He exists. Uh, Because the Word is our foundation and God shows Himself all throughout the Word, each time we read and hear the Word, our faith is built. Our belief in God and His existence and everything He said to us is built up. Now, there is, is kind of the apologetic side, which is a part of this study, and so kind of the other, other side to this would be that those who claim God does not exist, those who do not confess, who maybe do not have a foundation set in the Word. You know, how do I approach this topic of God existing to people who say, I don't believe what the Bible says? You know, if, if the Bible isn't an authority in someone's life, well, you know, how, how is it that they are to know that God exists? And we see in Romans 1, verse 18 through 23. And this was this was pretty long, and so I, I didn't write it out in the notes here. Uh, you'll have to turn to a real Bible, or maybe Sean can get it on the screen for us if he's real quick. I'll, I'll give him just a second. I'm, I'll talk about something else here. It says, um, those who claim God does not exist. Now, now I, I want to say this too. I believe that those who don't believe in God, or who say that He does not exist, they have... Not read the word with ears to hear, or they have accepted the poison of someone changing the word to say what God did not say. Yeah. That's what I believe. That, that if somebody has read the Bible, God's word to us, him speaking, and they say, I don't believe it. Well, then they were not really either. They were not listening when they read. They didn't really want to hear. Maybe they were reading with the attitude that I'm going to just show why this is all wrong. I know. Anybody who comes to the Word with a true heart wanting to know God will find God in the Word. Yeah. The other explanation I can find is that they were poisoned or polluted with false doctrine, with false teaching. Uh, you know, it, it, and that's kind of one of the other parts of what we studied in Unit 1 is how the Word doesn't need anything added to it. It doesn't need anything removed for it, from it. It is complete in and of itself. And when people tamper with the Word of God, it can, it can mess other people up. Have you ever heard a doctrine that like, kind of messed you up in some way? I, I've been great grateful and, and I've been blessed to grow up in ministries that taught sound doctrine all the way through. And, and after some time with that, you begin to have that discernment, which, which we talked about a number of weeks ago, where you can, you can kind of tell when it's, when it's not really God. When you know enough Word, you can say, well, that doesn't line up with what the Word says. And so I'm not, I'm not going to get involved with that. But when you're new and you're just taking it all in for the first time and you're approaching with trust and someone misleads you and misteaches you, it can, it could, I can understand why that would turn somebody off from believing in God. Because they're not really believing in the God that we see revealed in the Word, who, who they're getting to know is a religious figure of, that some man created. And so it's very important for us, and, and I'm so grateful that our church um, has the standard that we look to the Word and to the Word alone for truth. You know, we, we, don't, we don't get off on these other things that aren't, um, aren't God revealing Himself to us. And so when someone looks at the Word and the Word alone, and, and actually in Romans 1, 18-23, uh, we're going to see that God even goes a step further beyond just revealing Himself in the Word. Do we have that ready to pull up, Sean? We do. All right, let's have that up. Romans 1, 18 through 23, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. What we see in, in this passage of Scripture is that God has not only shown Himself through the Word, but through all of creation. He has revealed who He is. He has shown the entire world, whether they have a Bible on their coffee table or they don't, every person has experienced God. Every person knows that the life we have is, is greater than us. It is larger than us. It was, it was created beyond us. And I, the other thing I see with this is that they've, they, it says they turned the incorruptible Word of God into something corruptible. The true Word of God has a quality of incorruptibility which allows us, I believe, to recognize whether something is of the Word or is not. Be, because we know that the Word is incorruptible, if something is corrupt, then it's not the Word. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's kind of one of those discernment tools that, for me, it makes it very easy to see when something is not based right. in the Word because it's corrupt. Right. Right. right, right. You know, it's messed up, it's causing death and destruction, it, it is not of God. We, we can recognize what's of God because it is incorrupt, it is life-giving. It lines up with the rest of the Word. You know, I just, I was thinking about that word of uh, incorruptible. You know, we preached about it on Sunday with, with the message about the good ground. And um, I, I talked some there about how the word will not be corrupted, how it doesn't go away, how it is everlasting. But beyond that, it also shows itself, it reveals itself as the word by not being corrupted you know and, and I just think about how God's revealed himself on earth you know even everything that man has done maybe trying to mess that up you can still go outside and look at a tree or look at some animals or look at the sky and you see God yeah. you know I think the scripture we read here in Romans is just so fitting because man has tried to make an explanation for God that is not God yeah. you know I, there are people who have tried to explain God away in some other way the problem with it is that's corruptible And it's always going to fail. It's always going to be destroyed because it's not the truth. The Word of God never fails. It's incorruptible and it lasts. He reveals Himself. Man, our God is, once again, awesome. You know, that, that He can reveal Himself outside of even the Word. Just in His creation, He shows us who He is and how He is. Let's let's continue looking at um, our God in our next, uh, what would have been a lesson about the Trinity. We'll go to Matthew 3, verses uh, 16 through 17 for this part of our review tonight. There are three parts to God. And as we looked at the attributes of God, we did uh, kind of glance across each one of them. I do want to give you some more scriptures here tonight that... um, that point to how God is a three-part being. Matthew three sixteen through 17 is one of the first uh, instances in the gospel where we see all three recognized at the same time. It says, when he had been baptized, it's talking about Jesus, he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. So we see Jesus, the Son, and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove. Spirit of God, that's number two. And alight, uh, alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." The Father, Part Three. So we have the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father all present in this moment. You know there there are, and, and I have not really listened to anybody who would be of this uh, belief, but I mean there are people who would want to. Um, Argue the, the three part nature of God That they'd want to say Well you know, maybe, maybe Jesus wasn't really part of God Maybe he was a good man or a good prophet Or something like that But he wasn't really God in man uh, You know the Holy Spirit I mean there are various people Who want to discount the Holy Spirit and, and how he is God But we see here three parts All working together to begin Jesus' ministry on earth And this wasn't something I was planning on talking about at all But we need all three parts of God in order to fulfill the ministry God has for us on earth. We need to hear from the Father. We need to have the Father um, supplying us and supporting us. We need the Holy Spirit present with His power while we're on earth. And we need the relationship or acceptance into the body of Christ. Baptism into His body um, as we see represented here. He had just been baptized. Body of Christ. Like this was the literal body of Christ. He had just been baptized and was now being sent out into ministry. Well, when you and I get baptized in Christ, we are supposed to be sent out into ministry. Whether that means ministering from a pulpit or ministering from our workplace or ministering at the table at our family dinner. I mean, we are sent to minister when we become baptized in Christ. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit and we need the relationship with the Father in order to do it the way we've been called to do it you know Jesus he he could have walked out without the power of the Holy Spirit we would not have had the next three years of ministry on earth that we see accounted in the gospel it takes all three Mm -hmm. It takes all three to do it right we need all three parts of the trinity and what we see with you know religion that are completely reliant on works and dying is that they've cut off part of the trinity Mm -hmm. again I wasn't going to talk about all this tonight but I feel like I'm supposed to we need all three parts of the Trinity in order to succeed in God's plan. Amen. If we cut off the Holy Spirit, we are we're going without power. Right. Yes. If we cut off our relationship with Jesus, well, I mean, we got nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I mean, we're 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 cut, we're dead without Christ. And if we cut off um, the the relationship with God, then then we have denied the, the plan. We have denied the framework. We have denied the one who created and intended everything that was gonna happen. We need all three parts. Do you see that tonight? Yeah, Matthew twenty eight nineteen, moving on in our summary tonight, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, reinforcing that point that we need all three if we're going to do it right if it's going to spread if the message of Jesus is going to spread if the gospel is going to spread across the world reaching every tribe and tongue so that Jesus can come back and rapture us up to heaven then we got to have all three parts doesn't work without all three doesn't spread without all three you know it's 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 like um it's like an electrical outlet that needs three plugs You take one of those two off or or like I I had done some electrical work in in a past house I lived in and every time I wired something up, you had to make sure all three wires were right. If you missed one, it didn't work. Maybe it would ground out and you wouldn't get anything. Maybe you wouldn't have that power line bringing the supply of power that you needed. Maybe you wouldn't have the neutral line balancing it out and making it able to work. You take one part out and it's not working anymore. That's That's how it is with the Trinity. We need all three. And then Deuteronomy 6, 4-5, uh, our last scripture about the Trinity here, uh, we see, it's written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, I, I bring this scripture up because even though there are three parts to God, we must understand and recognize He's still one God. You know, we, we don't worship three separate gods. We don't worship the Holy Spirit and worship Jesus and worship the Father. We worship God in all three of His parts at one time. You know, the way my mom used to always explain this one to us was she'd, she'd bring like a hard boiled egg up and she'd say, here's an egg. And we all know this is an egg. This is one egg, right? And we'd all say, yeah, it's an egg. And she'd go, well, it has a shell on the outside. That's one part. It has the white that's on the inside. That's one part. And it has the yolk on the inside of that, which is another part. It's three different parts, but it's one egg. And so that, you know, whether you needed that or not, that's how I always approached the Trinity. I always thought, okay, three parts, one Mm being. We worship one God who has three individual parts. And aren't you glad we have three parts to our one God? Alright, let's, let's go on to our next uh, point in this summary. We'll move through these last ones fairly quickly. They are these, these final ones especially, I feel like they're all kind of intertwined, and we've already hit on some of this, so we'll just cruise right through it. Uh, God's Word guides us. We touched on that right at the beginning tonight with Psalm 119, verse 105, where it talks about the Word is a lamp to my feet and a light uh, to my path. The Word is not only our foundation, which we live on, which we build upon, but we also see it taking an active role in our life. That, that's what I get out of this. That the word is not only you know, a, a kind of passive force that we look back on and we rely on. The word is not just this, this passive truth that we look back to, but it is active in our life. God's intention for his word is not that it would just be something that you know sits on a, a, a coffee table and is a reference book when we're in trouble or we need an answer. God's plan for His Word is that it is active and present. That means it's, it's alongside us when we're walking through life. When I'm out at work, and maybe I don't have the Bible open right in front of me, kind of in this moment where I can you know, just kind of take it in, and, and you know, I'm building the foundation upon this thing, I'm seeing where it's going to be applied, but it's actively with me while I'm building. I mean, this is the best way I, I can see to illustrate it right now, is you're talking about kind of this example of you know, maybe building a house on the rock. It's, it's both the place on which we build, the, uh, you know, the, the substance on which we look back to to decide uh, whether, whether to construct something there or not. You know, it is also our guide in how to build. It, it is also, you know, and I have maybe used this kind of illustration before, but it's like having a mechanic with you while you're working on your car. And it's the Holy Spirit speaking those words, reminding you of those words. You know, because we see that with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it's in one of our next points, but we know that the Word says that the Holy Spirit will bring to our memory what Jesus taught and will give us understanding. He will teach us these things. He's, He's not presenting some new truth that wasn't there before. He is just showing us the truth that's already in the Word. And so the Word is both what we're building upon but it's also our guide in how we build. It's also the blueprint in what we build. The Word is, it is both the foundation and it is the guiding force in how we live our life, in how we do, in how we speak and interact with people. The Word is the base and it is the guide. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16-17 through says this about the Word. It says, uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, we see a very active role that the Word of God is meant to have in our life. It's, it's not just supposed to be a reference that we look back on when we're not sure, when something feels unsteady. It is supposed to, um, it says here, um, Profitable for doctrine, it's supposed to give us doctrine. We could say it teaches us. It is there for reproof, uh, which is kind of a, a, a pointing out or an illuminating, a lighting up of, of what we're missing or getting wrong. Um, it is correction. It's it's that thing that makes the adjustment in how we need to adjust. It's instruction in for instruction in righteousness. It's instruction, which means it's training. We we see it's teaching, it's it's reproof or illuminating what we're missing or getting wrong. It's correction, which is adjustment, making those active adjustments, and then it's training how to do it the right way in the future. It's a very active role, and it says that the result of the Word doing this in our life is that we may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man, I want to be complete, I don't want to live incomplete. I want to be complete, I want to live whole, I want to live full, and I want to be equipped to do the things that God is asking me to do. Well I can't have that and I can't do that if I don't allow the Word to have an active role in my life where it is teaching, it is uh, showing, it is correcting and adjusting the way and and how and where and what I'm doing things and training how to do it the right way in the future. You know and and I love this about the Word and I think maybe sometimes I don't, I don't know I've heard it not from anyone close to me but I've heard preachers preach the word where they just like they get one part of that formula and that's all they've ever got is I am going to illuminate everything you're doing wrong and that's it let me just tell you why you're so terrible have you ever listened to a preacher like that <laughs> Lord help me never preach that way because it's, it's a fourth of the solution it's a fourth of complete. It's a fourth of equipped. It's a fourth of what God wants. Yeah. He wants us to hear it and know it and be trained in it. He, he wants us to have that part where we see what's wrong. He wants to correct, which means actionable steps, application that can help take that, that um, illumination or that understanding of what we've missed. And now I'm not just saying, oh, well, I, I've got it wrong. I'm missing it. I'm doing things that, that aren't right. But now it's saying, I can make this adjustment. I can do this thing to help me get away from that and get back to the plan. And then it's, it's training in how to do it right in the future. Yeah. It's, it's not just leaving me to figure it out on my own, but it's helping me. It's actively showing me how I can do it successfully to be complete and to be equipped. See, God's Word guides us in life. God's Word completes us and equips us. Amen. Let's look at these last couple points. Now, God preserves His Word. We see in Jeremiah 36, and if you want to read this with me, you will have to turn over there because it is uh, just quite quite a length of Scripture. In Jeremiah 36, um, I think if Sean tries to put it up, we're going to go 1 through 4, and then we'll jump over to 23. <clears throat> now it says, It came to pass in the fourth year of... Je- uh, Jehoiakim the son of Josiah the king of Judah that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I uh, propose to bring upon them and everyone may turn from his evil way that I may forgive their iniquity and their sins so Jeremiah Jeremiah I'm sorry. He gets a word from the Lord. says, Take a scroll, write it out. Written word of God is what we have here. Well, if we jump on to our next verse, which we see here in a second, uh, 36, 23. What we read is that it had happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with a scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until the scroll was consumed in the fire. It was in the hearth. So what we see here are a couple things. First of all, we see that the Word was was brought to the people through a very natural, well, both a supernatural and a natural way. It it was supernaturally inspired by God for, for Him to write this, but it was done in a natural way so that it could be brought to man. See, God uses both the supernatural and the natural to accomplish His work. He uses the spiritual and and you know, things of the world to get his work done. So we see that um, it was written on this scroll, a very natural item, but it had been inspired as he, was, he heard it from God. You know, that's a spiritual thing, that's a supernatural thing to hear from God. And so he, he got the spiritual part, he heard from God, he wrote it down on a natural scroll, and then the king destroyed it. It was destroyed. We move on now to 27 and 28, just a few uh, verses ahead. It says, Now after the king had burned the scroll, with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, "Yet take yet another scroll and write on it all the former r- words that were in the first scroll. <clears throat> and, and he goes on and talks about how he wrote those down and the word came again. The point with this is that God preserves his word. God keeps his word. God has gotten his word from 6,000 years ago to us Today. Because He knew we were going to need it. God is good that He preserves His Word. He brings it to us and He uses both the supernatural and the natural to do it. Second Peter 1 um, verse 21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, it is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking through someone that brings God's Word. This is how, um, you know, even after Jesus had ascended, His Word could still be brought onto earth. His Word could be written down in the books that we have in our New Testament today and recorded and kept for us now because the Holy Spirit spoke through people. We see once again both the supernatural and the natural coming together to do something amazing for God. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, our last on on this point, says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Once again, that point of corruption, the word lives and abides forever. God's word does not die because God is faithful to not allow it to pass away. He knew we needed the word for today. And so he was faithful to get it to us. And it came in a supernatural way through natural people. Isn't that good news that God uses natural people, regular people to do supernatural things? And then we see God's Word is complete. John 14, verse 25-26 through 26 <clears throat> says, These things I have spoken to you, while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. See, the Holy Spirit, He reminds us and He teaches us the things that were said of Jesus. Now, one of the things we see in this is that, once again, the Holy Spirit is not bringing new doctrine or new teaching you know, of, of His own or, or of a person's own. What He's doing is reminding and teaching and expounding upon what Jesus already taught. You know, I, I will make this statement. Every verse in our Bible can be linked to something Jesus taught. Mm-hmm. That's the truth because He taught the Word of God and the Word does not contradict itself. It all goes back to the Word, and, and it doesn't contradict itself, and it doesn't need something new, which will kind of feed into our next point here. I told you these last ones sort of go together, but if you go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, um, as we look at not changing God's Word, we're also going to see how the Word is complete. These two things kind of work in conjunction with one another, because if it is already complete, well, then it doesn't need anything added. It doesn't need anything removed, and if it doesn't need anything removed or added, well, then it must be complete. See, they work together in this way. And we know that um, the Holy Spirit, as, as He comes and speaks and reminds and teaches the Word to us, it really all goes back to what Jesus spoke while He was walking on the earth. It goes back to the Word, which became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, it says, You shall not add to the Word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, uh, which I command you. Here we have it stated pr- pretty plain and simple. don't add, don't subtract, keep the word. Amen. Keep the word as it is. Let the Holy Spirit remind you of it, let him teach you it, let him ex- expound it so that you, like you understand it and, and you get like a new layer to it. I mean, I'll just tell you as I study scriptures, there, there are scriptures I've read hundreds of times. and when I read them again, I get like another layer of understanding to it. The Holy Spirit shows me another part to it, or a new way of looking at it, and it brings more understanding and more meaning to it for me. I'm not saying that if you read the Bible one time, you're going to have every piece of of understanding you're ever going to get. No. (laughs) No. You're going to get more every time you read the Word, but it's not because there's anything new in the Word. It's because you are getting it in you. You're, You're getting a greater understanding of the depth of the word. It's not that he's adding more to it. It's just you're getting to see more of it. That's really what it comes down to. And I, I've heard some ministers actually. There are numerous ones say this before they go. And, and Brother Hagan, I think is the one who said it first. And was kind of quoted on it a lot. He said the more I get to know about the word. The more I get to know about God. The less I know. <laughs> the deeper I go the less I know. Is another way we could say that. The deeper I go with God, the more I'm going to realize I don't know that much of it. There's so much more to discover. There's so much more depth than what I have today. And you know, I I think some of this maybe is a kind of a motivational gifting, a a personality kind of thing. But for me, when I realize that there is a lot I don't know about it, it makes me want to go out and figure. Like I want to go find it. Now, listen, I, I can't do that on my own. We, we can't go and figure it out on our own. It, it takes the Holy Spirit right. teaching and, and reminding and, and illuminating this truth. I, I can't like twist God's arm into showing me, you know, the, the things I don't understand about the word. It doesn't work that way. But when I approach the word with the heart that I'm so hungry, God, to get more of this. Well, he's not going to leave you hungry. That's right. He's the, he's the bread of life. Isn't that good? He's the bread of life. That means he feeds you. He feeds your spirit. He feeds you that word that you hunger for. I heard a quote one time that said this. It said, I'm, it's, it's, my job is to hunger. My job is to hunger for the word. And he'll teach. He'll show. He'll feed. My job isn't to go out and, and try to f- figure out how I'm going to get fed. My job is to be hungry and show That's up. Good. My job is to show up where the bread is. That's, good. That's the word. Amen. And so uh, our last point here, we've seen don't change God's word, and there are a couple more scriptures there you can reference if you'd like to. I'm going to get to our last point now because we just have a couple minutes left. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. Now, we we studied this, uh, I think it was just last Wednesday. So this may be pretty fresh in your memory yet, but if we look at Romans 3, verse 23, what we talked about last week was that in order to understand why the gospel is such good news, we have to understand that there was bad news before. Yeah. And, and I gave that example last week of, you know, if I'm really going to get into a movie, I got to understand why that hero is out doing what he's doing. You know, if, if we watch, and, and I'm not like big on any of the superheroes or anything, but this is the example that came to my mind just now. If I'm watching Batman and I don't understand the villain, that there's something bad going on, then all I'm watching is a grown man run around in tights. <laughs> okay. And we could put that in any superhero movie. If you don't understand why there's something bad going on, then it's like, well, what's the point of this guy? Like take your costume off, go to work, like be normal. Okay, we we I don't get it. Well, if we don't understand that there was bad news, then none of what Jesus did makes any sense. That's really good. It's like, man, well why why is this guy being born of a virgin and living a sinless life, man? You can you have some fun, Jesus. Come out with us, you know? Like, why, why are you doing what you're doing? And this makes sense for us as Christians, too. If we don't understand the bad news that we're against, why do you do what you do? That's good. Why do you, do what, why do you live different? Why do you look different? Why do you talk different? Because I'm aware of a threat that you're not aware of. That's good. And I'm taking it upon myself, called by God to do something about it. I'm not going to just be passive and let this thing happen. I'm not, I'm not just going to let the enemy's plan happen to my home, to my city, to my state, to my country. I won't let it go. I'm empowered by God to do something great. I'm empowered by God to bring hope and life and truth to a place where there is none. I'm a messenger of light in a dark place. Hallelujah! That's the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so Romans 3, verse 23. says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've fallen short of the glory. And we know um, just a little later on in Romans, it talks about how for the wage of sin is death. So that means if we've all sinned and the wage of sin is death, we've all earned death. That's the bad news. But the good news is 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, For he made him... Jesus Christ, Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Righteous in God, made right once again, forgiven our sins, the debts paid off, freed from the enemy's plan for us. Hallelujah, that's good news. And if we turn to 1 Corinthians 15, this is the last Scripture for tonight, and one more that I couldn't quite fit into our Scripture outline. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-5. through Reads, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first all which I also received. This is the message of the gospel summed up into a few short sentences. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. He came, he died, he was buried. And listen, him being buried, I, 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 it, I went a while not knowing why that was significant. When he was buried, he buried our sin. You know, when, when he went into the tomb, he took our sin with him. He took our penalty with him. And he put it to death. He came, he died, he was buried, and he rose. Came back to life. Newness of life. Man, that's the message of the Gospel. That's the message of Christ for the world. That is the good news. That is our hope. We have good news, don't we? Yes, we do. Is the Word of God your foundation? Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, there are some application questions that you should all have on that handout. There are ten that I wrote out. You know, just looking across these last nine lessons, these were some of the questions that... I felt, and now I don't have kids, okay, and I don't, maybe me and Pastor Emerita and Emeritus will go home and talk about these questions, I don't know. But these are the questions that I would ask if, if I had people I wanted to engage in a conversation about the priority of the Word. These are the questions I would ask if I wanted to have a discussion and a dialogue about what the Word means to me, what, what we just covered. You know, we've summarized it really quick. I think these these questions are a great starting point for a conversation about the Word, whether that's with kids or family members or anyone else that God may lead you to ask these. Use them and uh, go and be blessed. Be the light. Share the Gospel. Share the good news. And uh, we'll just believe for a great harvest. Amen. Amen. Amen? All right. well, go and be blessed tonight in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And thank you for watching online.